Anybody? There's like a soccer ball, a football, a basketball, and then like a llama. <laughs> you know, and you're like, probably the llama. And so, well, in the Ten Commandments, coveting kind of almost seems like the llama of the Ten Commandments. You know, uh, it almost doesn't seem, it almost seems like it doesn't belong. It's the only commandment of the Ten Commandments that deals specifically with what happens in the heart. Every other commandment is actions. You do, you say, something that you can measure. Coveting is the only thing that you can't measure. It's a heart issue. Granted, all sin's a heart issue, but at least it, it manifests itself in murder and idolatry and adultery and all these different things. But coveting... How do you measure coveting? How do you look? Look around right now. Who in here is coveting? How, how do you know? You'd say, well, no, we're all Christians. <laughs> I'm glad you have great, great faith in your fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord. Thou shalt not have no other gods, no graven images. Keep the Sabbath. Honor your father and mother. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. And then don't covet. Exodus 20, 17 says, you must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not cover, covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. Don't covet. Well, if we can keep this commandment, we're well on our way to keeping the other nine commandments. It's not wrong to want. It's not wrong to crave. It's not wrong to like. But it is wrong to covet. Coveting is stronger than wanting, okay? If you want a bacon-wrapped filet mignon and you want some of those rolls at Texas Roadhouse, I want them too and I'll meet you there, okay? But now if, you, if we're there and you decide that you want my daughter's steak and her rolls and just pull it away, we will have problems because I'm, I'm with you. I want the steak and I want the rolls, but if you're going to take it from my child, I have an issue with that. Well... You, because you just crossed the line from craving to coveting. Coveting is this, wanting something to the point that you're actually willing to take away something that belongs to someone else. Now, this is why some people cannot be happy for someone else when they're blessed. Why? Well, typically you're going to find the sin, there's sin in their heart. And you know what that sin is? That sin is Coveting, when someone struggles with coveting, it's because they want something that someone else has. And they want it so bad that they literally cannot rejoice with the person in their blessing. Coveting is a sin, but it's one thing that is, it's a pro at hiding. It hides well behind the guise of something else. So we must be in tune with our hearts Always and examine our motion, uh, emotions and our motives because the problem may not be with someone else's stuff. It might be with your heart. There's nothing wrong with me saying, I like your house. There's nothing wrong with me walking outside and saying, I really like your vehicle. I would argue there's not even anything wrong with me saying, man, I'd like to give me a vehicle like that one day. But when that literally consumes my thought process and that's all I can think about, I might have an issue with coveting. You see, if you search online and you look for news stories about murder or about theft, you will find enough 
that will keep you busy through dinner time into next tom tomorrow's breakfast and through tomorrow's dinner. But now if you say, I want to read about stories online of crimes by coveting. You're going to be hard-pressed to find news stories that cover coveting, even though we could argue that really a lot of crime probably has to do with coveting. But you're not going to find that because coveting can't be measured. People can't really see it. You often miss it in yourself, just like I miss it in me. But messages like this call us to just hit the pause button and go, let's just examine our heart. King David was known as a man after God's own heart. At one point, he was called the apple of God's eye. Those are two huge compliments. But he had a big stain on his otherwise spotless record. I mean, like, why did the Bible include this story? I kind of like, man, this guy's like perfect. I mean, look at all the great things it does. And then we get to this story. He coveted. And that coveting directly led to adultery and then to murder. Because one sin never, and sin never stops with one sin in our lives. But before even David, let's talk about Saul. King Saul before him coveted. He wanted what David had before David wanted what someone else had. Okay? You want to talk about a pandemic. Here's the pandemic. It's envy in the human heart. David killed Goliath and men and women pour into the streets. Saul has killed his thousands. And Saul's like, yeah. But then it said, but David has killed his ten thousands. And quickly Saul's like, I don't like that song. I like the way it started. But I don't like the song. He had always been the one that was celebrated and revered as king. And so he got insanely jealous of David. So much that it ruined his life and it eventually killed him. You see, when you live in envy, the only life you destroy is your own. David finally steps into the kingship, and he's been anointed to do what he's been anointed to do many years earlier by the prophet Samuel. And so David is now living the dream. He's godly, happily married, wealthy. He seemingly has everything a man could want, but he stopped paying attention to his heart. Israel was at war with the Ammonites, but they were going through them easily. It didn't really require much effort. I mean, their military was powerful. God was blessing. They're just mowing down the enemy. No issues. And so David thought, well, hey, you know what? I'm going to let you guys, the big guns, you go handle this. I'm going to stay back. Scripture says at a time where kings, kings go to war, he stays back and he says, I'm just going to you know, scroll through my Facebook feed, and y'all go battle this one out, and I can stay back. But one of those nights, David couldn't sleep. Why? You know, I don't, I'm not sure, you know. He's probably used to being, he's a man of war. Maybe he's used to being in the battle, and so he wakes up one night and says, I'm going to step out on my roof, and in those days, the palace, you know, you could overlook the whole city, the incredible facility that he would just walk and just look over the land. And if you know the story, he looks and he sees a beautiful woman bathing. Now, that's not a sin. He saw her. But instead of 
Roadrunner, like, get out of there. (laughs) David keeps looking. And he doesn't just look. He is like, I need to know who this is. David knew better. David was happily married. He did not need another woman. But he felt desire in his heart. And I will say, to make this clear, at this moment where it first started with the glance, the look, even the attraction, this was not yet the sin of adultery. But it was quickly becoming the sin of coveting. He wanted something, in this case, someone, who belonged to someone else. And he decided, I deserve her. That it wouldn't be a big deal. So he says, I got to find out who she is. Now, guess what? I don't know if you've ever seen this, but he knew, he knew she was a married woman before she stepped foot in the palace. It's not like he pursued her and was like, man, I wish I'd have known. You didn't tell me. Look at 2 Samuel 11, 3 and 4. It says, he sent someone to find out who she was. And he was told, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah. Now, sit tight here, look. The wife of Uriah, the Hittite, guess what? When you go to the genealogies, she is still referred to as the wife of Uriah. Because in God's book, what David did was sin. And even though Uriah died, she goes down in the New Testament as the wife of Uriah. And then it says, then, then David sent messengers to get her. Wait, king, we just told you she's married. But envy makes you do crazy things. And she came to the palace, he slept with her. She had just completed the purification rites after having a menstrual period, and then she returned home. He knew who she was. He was coveting his neighbor's wife, breaking the covenant of the very foundation of the law of Moses. And just a few weeks later, she sends a message to the king, a handwritten note that maybe went something like this. Dear king, I'm pregnant. Sincerely, Bathsheba. And David is like, terror sets in. He enters full-blown panic mode. What can he do now? He felt like, I can't just admit that I sinned because, remember, like we talked about last week, lying. These things, if you study, it's amazing how these Ten Commandments so often will intertwine with one another. And last week we talked about lying, how when you start to lie, you get tricked into this spider web of like, well, I can't tell the truth now because how bad would it look now? I've been lying, so I need to lie to cover up my lie, and then I have to lie to cover up those two lies because if I stop lying, eventually the truth comes out. And so I just, maybe if I keep lying, eventually it'll just, it'll go away. And that's not the case, ever. He knows that someone who works in the palace, maybe they saw. People will be able to do the math once Uriah's at war, Bathsheba's pregnant. You know, I saw her visit King David a few weeks. It's not hard here. There's no getting out of it. But David goes, or is there? 
What if Uriah, what if I have Uriah come home? What if I arrange for him to come back off the battlefield? Surely he'll go sleep with his wife. He's been away. He loves her. Let's just bring him home. She gets pregnant. Hey, who cares if the baby looks a little bit like me? But the plan backfires. 2 Samuel eleven six. 6, David sent to, word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent him to David. When Uriah arrived, David asked him, Joab, and the army, how, how's the war progressing? He told Uriah, you know what? Go home and relax. He even sent a gift to Uriah. What a scoundrel. Sent a gift to Uriah after he had left the palace. But Uriah didn't go home. He slept that night at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. David heard Uriah had not gone home. What? He summoned, what's the matter? Why didn't you go home last night after being away for so long? Uriah replied, the ark and the armies of Israel and Judah are living in tents. And Joab, my master's men, are camping in open fields. How could I go home to wine and dine and sleep with my wife? I swear I'd never do such a thing. What a man of integrity and honor. I'll stay here today, David told him, and tomorrow you may return to the army. Because David's like, wow, this ain't going to work. So what else can I do? David's plan didn't work, so he now does the unthinkable. Verse 14, the next morning David writes a letter to Joab, gives it to Uriah to deliver. Uriah is literally carrying his own death sentence and doesn't even know. The, leader, the letter instructed Joab, station Uriah on the front lines where the battle is fiercest, and then pull back. Can you imagine being on that battlefield as he fights honorably, and all of a sudden he turns around, and all his platoon backs up, and he's by himself. And he just knows, I'm going to just keep fighting for God and country. And he dies on that battlefield because of what David did. Enemy soldiers came and killed him. What started with envy led to adultery, led to lying, and ended with murder. Again, that's why when people say, oh, I would never, I would never, there's no chance that David ever woke up one day and said, Man, I'm going to envy somebody's wife. I'm going to lie. I'm going to commit adultery. And I'm going to kill somebody. Sin causes us to do insane things. The human heart is wicked above all else. Okay? It's, it's deceitful. And so we have to not just say, I would never. I would never. You don't know me. No. I know you, you're a human being. And I know me, because I'm a human being. So I don't trust myself. I have to set up safeguards in my life. I have to make sure that I'm a praying man. I'm reading the word. I'm fasting. I'm denying flesh. I'm seeking God. I'm trying to do these things. Why? It's not because you're such a good person. No, because I know who I am. And I know who humanity is. And so therefore... We don't give the flesh an inch. 
And with that, a valiant warrior was left alone on the front lines and killed. His parents lost, you look at parents lost a child, siblings lost a brother, a wife lost a husband, and a nation lost a valiant warrior that day. No wonder God wrote this commandment in his top ten list. I wish Israel learned her lesson, but she didn't because she had another king, this one much more evil than David. He, he didn't just have one stain on his record. We also have an issue here with coveting and murder. First Kings 21, there was a man from Na named Naboth from Jezreel who owned a vineyard in Jezreel beside the palace of King Ahab of Samaria. One day Ahab said to Naboth, hey, your vineyard is... And it's convenient to my palace. I want to buy it and use it as a vegetable garden. And I will give you a better vineyard in exchange. Or if you prefer, I'll just pay you for it. Naboth replied, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance that was passed down by my ancestors. That'll preach a hundred different ways, but we'll keep going. So Ahab went home angry and sullen because of Naboth's answer. The king went to bed with his face to the wall and refused to eat. My little baby pouting. What's the matter, his wife, his not good wife Jezebel, if you know who she is. What's made you so upset that you're not eating? I asked Naboth to send me his vineyard. He won't do it. Are you the king of Israel or not? She challenges him. Get up and eat something. Don't worry about it. I'll go get you Naboth's vineyard. Who is the stronger one in that residence? So she wrote letters in Ahab's name, sealed them with a seal, sent them to the elders and other leaders of the town where Naboth lived. In her letters, she commanded, call the citizens together for a time of fasting and give Naboth a place of honor. Then seat two scoundrels across from him who will accuse him of cursing God and the king and take him out and stone him to death. All because I want your vineyard. So the elders did what was told them to do. And that exactly happened. Verse 13, two scoundrels came, sat across, they accused him. And so they dragged, he was dragged outside the town and stoned to death. And the town leaders then sent word to Jezebel, Naboth has been stoned to death. Literally, two good men that were killed because someone else wanted what they had. Envy. I, do you think envy left after the Old Testament? Envy left after the New Testament? No, no. 2022 and envy is very much alive and well. But it can't be alive and well in the church. It can't be alive and well right here. You see, Ahab has everything. But he wants this Vineyard, because it's convenient. You see, envy and coveting don't really have to do with what you already have. Envy and coveting, it always has to do with what you want more of. You could be married to a beautiful spouse, but still covet someone else's spouse. You could live in the most amazing home, but still covet someone else's home. You could eat of every tree in a massive garden, but still covet the one tree that you were told not to eat from. You see, such is the plight of the human heart. This is, a, 
This is why God literally gives us a list of things not to covet. Exodus 20, 17, what we just read, he says, don't covet your neighbor's house, don't covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, or donkey, anything else that belongs to your neighbor. I like it because that withstands the test of time because you're like, sir, we don't really deal with the servants anymore. Donkey, okay, I don't care if somebody's got a donkey. I don't want to clean up after a donkey anyway. And it just ends with, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. This is principles for life. Good practical stuff here. I mean, anything else. But this is the thing, again, some of us are just like, yeah, I get it. Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, that's not a good idea. Amen. Good, good word. Let's wrap this up. But rarely are we big enough to sit in an audience and go, been noticing and the envy that I have toward this person over that or over this and I'm not in a good place. It takes a big person to do so. Check out where covetousness ranks on God's scorecard. Mark 7 verse 20 and then he added it is what comes from inside that defiles you. Interesting right? From, for from within out of a person's heart Say, my heart. Say, my heart. Guess what comes from there? Evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy or covetousness, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They're what defile you. Man, it's great being a human. Romans 1.28, Paul says, since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that they should never, that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. Jesus and Paul both listed envy, covetousness, listed it right along with adultery. Sexual immorality, murder, and deception. Now I know we go, <laughs> come on here a minute. That's a little extreme, okay? We're throwing coveting. I mean, all right, so who cares? I coveted your car. I, that's not the same thing as murder and sexual immorality. Well, according to what Jesus and Paul they lumped them together. And he did not say, now let's cover the lesser of the two things. He just was like this, 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 this. And he throws into a big lump and he's like, these are things that defile you. In Colossians 3, 5, Paul calls covetousness idolatry. When we begin to serve our money and stuff and relationships become more important than God, the Bible calls this idolatry. Again, the Ten Commandments, how they weave together. Covetousness is fueled by old-fashioned greed. It's the drive to always want more than what you currently have. I mean, that's a miserable, could you imagine, that is a miserable way to live life. What a miserable way. I just got this, but I want that. So now I got this, and now I want that. So I got this, and now I want that. If we're not careful, 
we literally go through our whole life and go, man, I didn't enjoy anything. When you ask the greedy person, how much is enough? The answer is just a little more. Jesus warns against this, Luke 12, 15. He says, then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. But how do we guard? How do we do that? How do we follow that scripture? How do we guard against covetousness? Well, I believe the Bible offers two, probably a lot of different things, but two key great things. You know what those two things are? Giving and contentment. Giving and contentment. We must live life with an open hand. Open to receive from God. Open to give to God. Open to receive, open to give. Anytime you examine your heart and feel like, man, there's a little bit of envy, a little bit of coveting, there's something there, you know what you should do? Give. Are you just trying to round up money for the church? Then don't give to someone else. You don't have to give to the church. Just give to someone. Give to something. Just give. Invest in someone, in something. Make a donation. And then... Be content. Be content with who you are, where you are, what you are, with whom you are. And what a testimony to be able to say, like Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 8. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. I believe American standards are a little higher than that, right? Food and clothing, well... What type of clothing? Let's clarify. What type of food are we talking about? You know? I feel bad sometimes. The other day I had Taco Bell. And I said, Lord Jesus, please bless this food to my body. And I was like, God's probably like, you're a knucklehead. How you, you want me to bless that mess? <laughs> but you see, that's the standard. Our standard If you have food and clothing... Do you know the very next verse says, but people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge, that plunge them into ruin and destruction. Please notice the context of this passage because I'm going to clarify something. You know, a lot of churches believe like there's a, we should live a poverty mentality. This does not say that there is anything wrong with being rich. Doesn't say it. This Paul is talking about contentment. Then he says, those who long to be rich. Who are we to say that if God's going to bless you or bless you or bless you or bless you? Say, God, stop. God, you can't keep blessing me. I don't want it. We're getting ready to build a church, okay? Let God bless you. <laughs> but what I'm saying is now when I am up at night, how can I make more money? We got to make money. I want more stuff. That's, that's a problem. That's coveting. That's sinful. That is 
are going to lead to ruin and destruction. There's nothing wrong with being rich, but when that is all we long for, our hearts can get filled with envy and coveting. Who cares? A Christian song that says, trying to keep up with the Joneses, I don't care. I was just happy when that they, that they live next door. Okay? That... I'm in no competition. You're in no competition with any anybody. But when we can say like Paul, I have learned that in whatever state I'm in, I'm going to be content. So if we were to celebrate every blessing instead of complain about everything we're lacking, it's a beautiful cure to coveting. When I'm a giver and I am a worshiper, I am just going to say, God, I am content. Whatever you give me, I want to be content. No matter where I live, what I drive, no matter what I'm eating, the clothes I'm wearing, I am going to be content. Because I believe when we have that attitude, he says, hey, you can be faithful with these little things. I'm going to bless you with more. Because if you can, if I can trust you to be a giver, and a contented worshiper, I trust you with even greater things. You see, if we must covet, as I close, if we have to covet, there's one thing I think we should covet. Because Paul tells us to covet. In 1 Corinthians 12, 31, he says, but covet earnestly the best gifts. He's talking about spiritual gifts here. He says, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. If you want to covet something, focus on spiritual things. Let spiritual things keep you up at night where you're going, God, I want more of you. Lord, I want more of what we had on Sunday where the gifts were in operation and laying on of hands and the outpouring of your spirit and the washing away of sins because what we, what we think is a huge deal right now, literally the greatest thing that's happened to you in the last 48 hours or the most challenging thing that has happened to you in the last 48 hours, nothing compares to what God did here on Sunday. And so when we start to go, I want more of you. I want the gifts of your spirit. I want tongues, interpretation of tongues, laying on miracles, signs, wonders. I want these things. I want a gift of faith. God, that these are the things where I'm going, that's what I want. Instead of just, I want a newer car. Mine has lots of miles on it. I want a new suit. I want new shoes. This cologne, I've had this forever. I need new cologne. I want better food. I I don't want to just stop at Taco Bell. I want to go somewhere nicer. Like when, when when we're all, that consumes us. I wish I could because I ate Taco Bell and I saw Felicia. She went out for steak and Felicia gets to go to steak and I don't can't afford to go to steak. And blah, blah, blah. Like, we, what kind of happiness is in that? Now again, we laugh, we chuckle because I never do that. So we're not talking about Taco Bell and steak. Insert whatever you struggle with. Focus on spiritual things. You know, God says, I'm the first and the last. I'm the alpha and the omega. I'm the beginning and the ending. 
And I love how the Ten Commandments start and how the Ten Commandments end. Number one is basically have no other gods before me. And number 10 is don't let anything on this earth come before me either. If we can live our lives where God, you are first and foremost, no doubt, no doubt we're going to go through trials, we're going to go through challenges, and we're going to go through mountaintops and, and blessing, and we're going to go through valleys and discouragement, and there's going to be times where maybe I look at something somebody has, like, oh man, that's really nice, but if we say, I want to be kingdom-minded, and if you choose to bless me, I'm going to be content. If you choose to take something, I'm going to be content. Whatever you choose to do, God, I am going to pursue you more than anyone, more than anything. I'm going to keep my eyes focused.